listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hey, how you doing? How you feeling? No, seriously. No, no, I'm no, I'm, I'm actually very serious. How you doing? Because you look a little clammy. You look. That is now. It has become the greeting that we all have, where we just now we don't long. We just we just wonder. Hey, how are? You? Uh, by the way, I have a question. Would you do me a solid? Could I get some hand sanitizer? Could I? Could you give me some hand? No, you need it all for yourself. You need to hoard all the hand sanitizer. Suddenly, we have entered a world where face masks are now essentially cigarettes in prison. So, what is it that you are willing to give up to get a face mask? The I mean, obviously, the economy is. I mean, worldwide recession, the whole bit. Money doesn't mean anything anymore. Now you just need a face mask and some hand sanitizer. I will trade you. I'll, I'll trade you twelve rolls of toilet paper for that face mask because you can't get any of it. Have you seen the stuff from the Costco? I mean, Costco shoppers. When Costco Nation rises up, we're in a big, big, big pickle. Costco shoppers flooding the stores over the weekends, both south of the border and also here in the GTA. Oh, what a right pickle we're in! Reports that the the entire the entire aisle of toilet paper has been cleared out. Is this what this dystopian future is going to look like? We can't get we can't get toilet paper. No TP. That's what's happening. That's what we've come to. No Charmin. Oh, you like the fancy quilted kind, eh? Have a soft behind. You have got to be kidding me. It has really started to set it, and you heard in the news, we are now up to number 20. It's the drip, drip, post-nasal drip of the numbers for coronavirus for COVID-19 in Ontario. The new Ontario cases now bring Canada's total to 29, eight cases in British Columbia, one in Quebec. We're number one in the, in the country. How's about that? Leading the way. Ontario. It's an Ontario miracle is what it is. The Ontario miracle. Thank you, Premier. Now, did you get a load of Premier Doug Ford at his first press conference where he actually answered questions from reporters in over a month? This happening yesterday, right around the noon hour. I want to chew it over for you because the Premier was a little ticked, a little steamed. you got to be kidding me, Carl. you got to be kidding. <laughs> Doug Ford... And I have said this before. Doug Ford and his government thinks you're an idiot. They think you're dumb. So yesterday, after not taking questions for more than a month, the Premier holds a press conference where he wants to talk about the Ring of Fire. And I'll talk about the Ring of Fire in just a moment, what it is and why yesterday's announcement was really a non-announcement. But at the end of it, then there are reporters there waiting to ask questions. And as I've said, it's been a long time since Doug Ford actually listened or actually took any questions from reporters, and there's a lot of things to talk about. And one of the things that was asked about, as you might know, license plates. That boondoggle. How is it, Premier, that you managed to screw this one up, is essentially the tone of the questions. And after one or two of those, Doug Ford, well, he got a bit snippy. 
I know the media wants to pound on little things. We're looking at the big vision, 307,000 jobs, economy booming. We're going to have the license plates taken care of. But as you guys, the media, want to stick in this little downtown Toronto bubble and start worrying about little things and disrespect them, in my opinion, First Nations right today when we're supposed to be talking about a historic announcement that's going to change lives. That is Doug Ford speaking yesterday at a mining conference in Toronto. I'd like to live in a bubble, really, actually. I'd like to live in... (laughs) You've got to be kidding. I could use a bubble with this COVID-19 thing. And then to accuse reporters of disrespecting First Nations because you're not asking questions about what is actually being talked about. I mean... this is the oldest thing in politics. This is what happens all the time. Whenever the leader or comes out or a minister comes out, you know, you know, well, here I am with some babies. Let's talk about the babies. And, you know, and then there's, you know, questions about other things. Like, well, you're disrespecting the babies. That's ridiculous is what that is. So in the House today, Lisa Thompson, who is the frontline minister who is responsible for plate gate, was once again asked about the license plates, bringing up to speed. On Friday, the government announced that it will now start handing out the old white plates later on this week. The blue plates that they brought in that are hard to see under certain light conditions, they will be discontinued. The government will hand out the old white plates until manufacturer 3M can come up with a solution, which is expected to be a couple of weeks away. And then they'll start handing out the new new plates, the enhanced new plates. And anybody who has got one of the blue ones, one of the defective blue ones, and that's about 75,000 to 80,000 Ontarians, uh, drivers who already have it, they'll get new ones in the mail. All of this, according to the government, won't cost you a dime. There is nothing to see here. Please move along, says Lisa Thompson. I can't stress enough, Speaker, that the narrative that the member opposite and her entire party is trying to create is getting very old because Ontarians know that we're out there working for them. And in terms of the license plates, a solution has been implemented together with our vendor, which is going to see a replacement plan rollout. You can see the replacement plan, you just can't see the license plates. That is Lisa Thompson in the House today, responding to more questions about Plategate. This government thinks you're an idiot. They think you're dumb. They think you're going to buy this malarkey that, oh, you can't disrespect First Nations and ask questions about license plates when I'm in here talking about the Ring of Fire. This is from my inbox today. I, th- I found this unusual. Kevin writes in, quote, Funny how much we worry about bullying in school, yet you bully for an hour, five days a week. Think it through, man. That's from Kevin. I don't feel like a bully. I just feel like a guy who's raising what are some obvious points. Right? Like, the government seems to think that this, you know, three-card money, oh, don't look over here. What, license plates? Why? Come on. It's outrageous. That somehow you're going to be, you're just going to be like, oh, you're right. You're right. That wasn't a screw-up. No, it was, it's, a, it's a monumental screw-up. And does it have any long-lasting implications? Maybe not. But as I've said on this program, it opens the government up to all of these criticisms. But you can't get this thing right? How are we supposed to trust you on education? Guys, let's be positive. I'm trying to be positive. And there was a while there 
you know, after June of last year, when Ford shuffled his cabinet and sort of seemed to be a little bit more contrite about his first year in power, and he sort of backed away from it a little bit and sort of tried to calm things down. Now we, we're back to angry Doug Ford again, a, accusing the press of being in a bubble. Downtown elitist tea drinkers, pinky extended one percenters. I tell you what, I'd rather be a one percenter than a two percenter when it comes to COVID-19. I'll tell you that for free. Two percent being the mortality rate. This is not a time for fear. (laughs) Dr. Gabrasis from the World Health Organization reminding me once again, do not panic. Quickly, can I talk ring of fire? This is not something that happens after too much chili on a Sunday night. The the ring of fire, what it is, is it's a giant mineral deposit in northern Ontario. It is made up of mostly chromite. And chromite is used in the production of stainless steel. Now, the problem is, is that this is in a completely remote, inaccessible area. And before you can actually start mining and bringing stuff out of there, you need roads. You need a road to get in there. So the announcement this week was the provincial government said that it has signed an agreement with two First Nations bands to be able to do an environmental study about bringing a road through there. (laughs) Except for the previous Liberal government had signatories from five of seven, I believe if I got my numbers right, five of seven bands that would be impacted by the road, and the, the, the progressive conservatives came in and ripped up all those deals, and now they're like, well, now we got two back. And already I'm reading today that one of the bands that would be impacted by a road that would go over a river in this area, northern Ontario, is saying, no, how, no way. So, and, and this all, this all ignores the fact that there's no evidence that that actually would be economically viable to mine chromite up there. The price of chromite worldwide is not that high. And there's actually no mining operation that has committed to actually building a mine up there. So basically, this there's nothing to see here. This is more invisible than Ontario license plates. It doesn't mean anything. Ring of fire, folks. There's your ring of fire update. Uh, I'm going to update you later on in the program about my Switzerland trip. If you're a regular listener of this program, you know that on March the 20th, I am scheduled to travel to Whis- uh, to uh, Switzerland to ski and snowboard to snowboard Zermatt. Uh, and I'm constantly trying to figure out whether or not, because of COVID-19, whether that is actually going to happen. Does anybody want to give me any odds? Rob on the board, Sheba, my producer, do you want to give me any odds a percentage of whether or not you think my trip to snowboard in southern Switzerland will happen. 80%. 80% yes. You're going 80% yes, Sheba. I'd say 90% you're going. 90% I'm going. Are you about to tell us you canceled? No, I'm not. No, I want to go. But my wife is saying to me, I don't know. You'll be fine. I don't know. Are you kidding me? Have you seen what the news is from northern Italy? They've locked down entire towns in northern Italy. You're not you going to northern me. Italy. You can you can snowboard into northern Italy from where I go, I'm going. <laughs> well, don't get lost on the hill. <laughs> oh my God, I'm in Italy. Northern Italy is pretty nice. It's lovely this time. Just don't kiss on both cheeks. Uh, I 
don't know. Are you like me? Do you maybe read too much information? Are you online, not actually doing your work most of the time, and you're just reading updates and scaring the bejabbers out of yourself over COVID-19? I'm just looking at this right now. Uh, How do I know if I have COVID-19? Okay, there are four main COVID-19 symptoms to watch out for. You got your fever, you got your cough, you got your difficulty breathing, and pneumonia. And according to the World Health Organization, symptoms can also include tiredness, aches and pains, check and check, nasal congestion, check, runny nose, check, sore throat, and diarrhea, no check. These symptoms can occur anytime within 14 days of a patient's exposure to the virus. And the virus can be transmitted from one person to another, but it can be difficult to pinpoint exactly when the exposure occurred. And you have heard in the news, we got another two reported cases in Ontario. Now, these are also people with travel history. And again, the word from health officials is all is good. The risk is very low. We don't have community transmission at this point. Unlike in California, we have a number of cases where it's clear that we've had some kind of community transmission because uh, an infected person you can't trace back to where it was that they possibly could have got it. In Washington State, the issue is very severe. In Seattle, actually closing a school today to just try and close that down and and give people a sense of what it's going to be like if there are further widespread closures of schools. We've seen closures of schools in Europe. Later on in the program, we're going to talk about what's happening in Japan and in other parts of the world where the virus outbreak has been much more severe. And then there's a lot of eyes on North Korea. So South Korea has a major problem with COVID-19. North Korea, secretive, reclusive, authoritarian. Oh, we got none. That's what they're saying. Oh, none. That's not here. No, we don't have it. We got communism. We don't have COVID-19. That's a bit of a worry. Considering what's happened with Iran, Iran reporting officially that they've reached peak COVID-19. We've hit it. We're at the peak. Except for experts say, no, I don't think so. So we're at the situation now where, as the WHO has said, the window is rapidly closing to contain this virus. Also today, we had the Fed The U.S. Fed has cut rates, and that has just driven the stock market. So all is good now. The stock market is fine. We can all relax. Hey, who doesn't love a little stimulus, huh? Give Give me a little of that stimulus. The market is bouncing back. The question is, is that a dead cat bounce? Or, more aptly, is it a dead, dead bat bounce? Bats being... Suspected as the origins of COVID-19. I'll do that joke one more time. Is it a dead cat bounce? Or maybe because it's COVID-19, it's a dead bat bounce. Thank you. Thank you very much. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau this morning in the East Coast saying, Chill, everybody. Uh, We'll be working with our international partners. We have been working extremely closely with... um, our provincial counterparts with provincial governments uh, in order to make sure uh, that Canadians are being kept safe from coast to coast to coast. Uh, We will continue uh, to do everything necessary to keep Canadians safe. That is the Prime Minister speaking this morning. Let's get you a quick whip around the world. In the UK, it seems unlikely that Britain will lock down cities to prevent the spread of coronavirus. 
That is according to England's chief medical officer. Britain has 39 confirmed cases. Give you a perspective. Canada has 29. Britain has 39, as I said, and the government has published a battle plan for tackling the spread of the coronavirus, including possible school closures, working from home. In Brussels, the worst is still to come for the airline industry in terms of economic damage from the coronavirus. European bosses of airlines warning this, but they predicted that travel demand could stabilize in coming weeks. That may be wishful thinking. In Spain, about 100 health workers are under isolation in the northern part of that country. At least 120 others are being closely watched by authorities after at least five doctors and nurses were infected with the virus in hospitals. In France, an official is threatening to issue a decree to control the price of face masks and disinfectant gels. France's education minister says the country has closed about 120 schools now and may close more. Meanwhile, in Tokyo, talk about the Olympics. On one hand, the IOC says, nope, going to go ahead as planned. But a senior official with the Tokyo Olympics pointing out that the contract says it can be held at any time in 2020. So maybe the summer games are going to be held in December. That could be a possibility. Those are just some of the updates with COVID-19, and there are obviously questions about what it might do to our local economy, especially if we get to a point where people are being encouraged to stay home and not to go out. What will that do to businesses? What will it do to restaurants? Well, we know that in a certain part of the city, they are already hurting. Along Eglinton, the dystopian future has already arrived in terms of the Metrolinx Crosstown construction, which again is delayed. Today, counselors encouraging people to get out and spend money on Eglinton, or perhaps these businesses might not be able to survive at all. Counselor Mike Cole is with me on the line. Hi, Counselor. Oh, how you doing? I'm good. How you feeling? Oh, it's wet out here. <laughs> Anyways, it's good. it's good. You running a fever at all? Oh, God. All that... Uh... Scary news. Anyways, North Korea's got the solution, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet. But let's get us back uh, closer to home. What do you think the solution is for these businesses along Eglinton? Well, I think we got to have uh, some uh, partnership with the province where they step, uh, step up and compensate these uh, small businesses uh, because this is going to take another three years. So they can't hang on uh, for another three years. So we need the province. Uh, with their project here to uh, put some money aside to uh, get these uh, small business people through the next three years. Now, has, has the city made a formal request to the province for money? Yeah, we did. Uh, last week, uh, the city council passed a unanimous uh, resolution uh, asking uh, the mayor uh, to uh, have an emergency meeting with the uh, provincial officials to uh, work out some kind of partnership where they by uh, help the city uh, Keep these businesses going. What kind of money do you think we're talking about? Oh, we're talking millions because, you know, it's three years. And, uh, you know, they're already hanging on by their fingernails. And, uh, you know, they're trying to keep their doors open. It's not as if they want a handout. They just want to keep working. And, uh, you know, they all employ uh, two or three people. They're in the 90% of them are little family-run shops and uh, people that uh, are just uh, making, uh, you know, a tough living. And uh, they can't... Uh, 
you know, continue. They've gone through nine years of this construction hell. They, they just can't go on for another three years. It's impossible. Speaking with Toronto Councillor Mike Cole, and Mike, I live in the east part of the city, and not far from my neighborhood is where the planned Ontario line is supposed to go. I guess considering what you've seen with your constituents and along Eglinton, what would your advice be to businesses who might be impacted by future construction? Well, they have to have a plan in place to basically uh, mitigate the uh, construction and the impact uh that should be part of the contract built into the cost uh because that's you know these things take years uh it's not just months so you know if it's a six months or a year good but like here as i said uh this has has taken nine years already you're talking i'm sure at least nine years out there in east end but mike i guess the the thinking is is that you know five years from now when it ever it ever does finish you know, there will be, there's a transit line, and then there's going to be a lot of development, and all of a sudden those businesses are going to have a lot more people. And so it's just a question of holding on, and then the money's going to come rolling in. Yeah, that's that's been the uh, traditional, uh, let's say, uh, train of thought on it, uh, you know, that you're going to benefit when the transit goes in. And But what the, it never contemplated is where there's been... Uh, disruptions uh, for uh, 9, 10, 11 years. That's the problem. Uh, nobody can withstand that because we've got uh, construction trailers blocking entranceways. We've got massive uh, uh, construction uh, machinery everywhere. We've got sidewalks blocked off. So, uh, you know, you can uh, benefit if it's, uh, you know, a year, maybe two, but not uh, 10 years. Uh, there's got to be some help when it comes to that long, long period of time. Mike Cole, Toronto City Councillor. Mike, thanks so much for being on the program. Please take a moment to go and wash your hands. Yeah, definitely. And uh, thanks for uh, thinking of uh, small business. All right. Thanks again. Welcome back to the program as we're keeping our eye on COVID-19, the announcement of a couple of more cases here in Ontario, bringing our number to 20 now in Ontario. Now, keep in mind that a couple of people have already recovered from COVID-19, so it's not like we have that in terms of active cases. Some have already got it and have recovered and have now been cleared. But again, we have another couple of people here with travel histories to places that are hotspots in the world, to Iran and to Egypt which have been problem areas, and so therefore we know that we have the travel history we don't have spread widely out in the community as of yet, but that may happen. Simply because, I mean, one of the Iran cases, for example, when we first got the case of a woman in her 60s from Iran who had come back, we knew that she had been out in the community for about nine days prior to her being diagnosed and confirmed to have COVID-19. So you keep, you know, keep in mind that there could be There's going to be more, I guess is the point. So we know there is going to be more. And we also know this. This is from Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, that says that there is, while we talk about vaccine, that that is at least six months away for COVID-19 to be able to get a vaccine in. There are still, though, treatments that are going to come forward that will probably will get treatments far before we actually get anything like a vaccine. We could know within a period of a few months, maybe in early summer, late spring, 
whether those therapies work. If they do, unlike a vaccine, you could make them immediately available. So that might be something to keep your eye on in terms of treatments, because right now we really don't have any treatments for COVID-19 other than respirators. And that's a problem because respirators are expensive, cumbersome pieces of equipment. And obviously they, they are in hospitals, but it's not like a mask or hand sanitizer or anything like that. It's not like you could suddenly manufacture respirators, you know, really quickly and have them shipped all around the world or around the United States. And there's so much concern in the United States that the, the U.S. really has dropped the ball in terms of testing in this early going, that we didn't have near enough testing in the United States about, you know, who has it and where they might possibly have been. And there's going to be increasing criticism of the American president. We've already heard that begun, and then there's, it's been politicized already about whether this is some kind of hoax trying to design to bring down the president. And meanwhile, let's turn our eye to here. Are you willing to work from home? Or more importantly, can you work from home? Do you have a kind of a job where if this virus gets worse and they start saying things like maybe avoid public transit, maybe don't get on the bus. We've already got a situation where Metrolink said, well, we had a person on a go bus. Now we got people in there disinfecting the bus. And, you know, that's lovely. The, you know, the bus has never smelled better. But, you know, that, that's a, it's a big concern going forward. Now, keep in mind, and this is something that I think a lot of Ontarians need to be reminded about. And I read this from Martin Reg Khan this morning in The Star, who points out that a year ago, Premier Doug Ford ignored the near-unanimous advice of medical practitioners and health experts and rolled back the two paid sick days enacted by the previous Liberal government. And Ford also reimposed the right of employers employers, pardon me, to demand sick notes before workers can take emergency leave. And today in the House, the NDP leader Andrew Horvath urged the government to today, today, pass legislation changing that to allow people to take emergency leave because of COVID-19. The government just shrugged it off. So the question is going to be, if you are a part-time worker, perhaps you're employed in the gig economy. Perhaps, you know, you you're you're just barely at the poverty line. You're at a job where you just, you know, you can't work from home. Maybe you work retail. And now you say, well, wait a minute. No, maybe the Eaton Center is not the best place to be because there's thousands and thousands of people from all over the world at the Eaton Center. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. It's important. We're not there. But it's possible we could be there. And to be able to control the spread of COVID-19, we may have to, we may have to impose some kind of restrictions on public gatherings. We have seen that in parts of Europe. The Swiss say no more gatherings of a thousand people or more. Same thing in France. (laughs) And then the workers at the Louvre, I love this. The workers at the Louvre are like, hey, wait a second. There's more than a thousand people come through here every day. We're shutting her down. Shut it down! You thought rail blockades had an impact on business and the economy. Wait until COVID-19 gets a hold of us, if it does. And so it comes back to this question about, do you have the right, as an employee, to say, you know what? I can't come in. I got the sniffles. I don't want to come in. Your coworkers don't want you there. But if, if showing up to work 
is the only way you get paid. If you don't show up to work, you're going to get canned. What are you going to do about that? And what is this provincial government prepared to do about it? Those are important questions with no answers right now. I'll say it again. Now is not the time to panic. But it is perhaps the time for our provincial government to start looking a little closer at these requirements to have a note or to have some kind of permission to be able to take emergency leave. Hey, how you feeling? I feel okay. I'm all right. No fever, no cough, throat's good. Everything's just fine. Until I get on Twitter and start reading stuff, and then I start to get a little worried. For example, there's this headline here from the Daily News site, Daily News Toronto. Panic buying takes over parts of Toronto as officials stress coronavirus risk remains low. Some Toronto residents appear to be panicking in response to coronavirus. Shoppers stopping up, stocking up pardon me, on products like toilet paper and bread out of fear of a possible pandemic. Toronto health officials and the mayor have told the public, don't panic. You don't need to panic. You don't need, you don't need six months worth of toilet paper, folks. You this don't. is not a time for fear. It is not a time for fear. Thank you. Dr. Gabrasis, who is the World Health Organization Director General. And then we get right into the ridiculous. The Star, the Toronto Star, has just posted this now. Washing your hands can prevent the spread of coronavirus, but you're probably doing it wrong. And I swear to you, there is a six-step graphic on how to wash your hands. Let me just take you through it here in case you don't know how to wash your own hands. After wetting hands with water and soap, rub hands palm to palm. Step one. Step two, rub palm over opposite hand with interlaced fingers. Step three, rub palms together with fingers interlaced. It's starting to get dirty. Rub backs of fingers to opposing palms with fingers interlocked. Step five, rub thumb in rotational manner using palm. Step six, rub palm in rotational manner using clasp fingers. Six steps to washing your hands. Seems like a long time. It's a lot to do there. You may, if you're a regular listener to this program, you know that I am planning a once-of-a-lifetime bucket list trip to Switzerland on March 20th to go snowboarding. And I'm a little concerned about coronavirus and COVID-19 and what that all means. What does it mean? Am I going to actually go? Well, as you're walking, you know, looking at what's going around the world, obviously Switzerland's one thing. Northern Italy's a big problem. Then you've got what's going on in Japan. Japan hit hard early, took some major measures, closed schools. To find out more about what's going on in Japan with COVID-19, I am pleased to welcome to the program Matthew Fisher, who joins me from Ottawa, just returned from Japan. Hi, Matthew. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. What was it like in Japan? Well, it changed a lot, uh, this visit. I, I go to Japan quite often, and uh, this time I was there for a bit more than two weeks. And on the first day that I was there, I would guess that 30% of the people were wearing face masks. By the time I left, 
the figure was about 90%. And in between, uh, the Japanese government took many draconian steps. Uh, one of them you alluded to uh, was uh, the closing of schools uh, and uh, the banning of a lot of airplanes. And that's why you're right to worry about Switzerland. Um, British Airways just cancelled six flights a day to New York from London, uh, believe it or not. Uh, it, it is a global thing. And in Japan, uh, they've cancelled the uh, uh, for spectators, the big sumo wrestling tournament in Osaka. It's a television-only event. Major League Baseball over there, Japanese baseball, is as popular, really, as Major League Baseball in North America. All their games for the first few weeks of their season, which begins in the middle of March, uh, are going to be played just for television audiences only. Uh, the schools are all closed as of uh, yesterday. Kindergarten, what we would call... Uh, um, public school, high school, universities, the whole shebang, totally closed. And just think of the ramifications for people uh, with uh, daycare. Uh, uh, the effects are many. Shinjuku Station, the world's busiest train station by quite a bit. Uh, normally 1.2 million different passengers pass through there every day. When I went through at 4 p.m. last week, uh, I-, I could count a couple of hundred people where normally you would see 10,000 going to the platforms, and I actually got a seat on the subway. Unheard of, for me at least, in the rush hour to get a seat, and it was pretty easy to get it on the subway. So uh, a lot of steps are being taken. Uh, Another one, if I could just mention, is about the uh, businesses. All the banks there are having staff that work for two weeks and then work from home for two weeks, and they're not even supposed to socialize with the people who are still at work, and that is to prevent a banking collapse. If half of them get sick, the other half shouldn't be sick. So all kinds of steps being taken there. Speaking with Matthew Fisher, who is an international affairs columnist and foreign correspondent who recently returned, just returned from Japan. And Matthew, you heard me talking about panic buying and stocking up on everything from toilet paper to hand sanitizer to even baby wipes are disappearing off store shelves. Has Japan seen that same sort of thing? Well, it, it certainly has, but not in some of these things. The Japanese, I think, have a better understanding that uh, huge supplies of toilet paper are just not going to do it for this particular uh, problem. And uh, they don't buy a lot of bread at the best of time, but they're not hoarding bread. But there is a search everywhere. I was part of it myself to find hand sanitizers and also to find masks. I was lucky enough to get about a two-week supply, but it took about four hours of searching uh, to to get that. Uh, Those uh, things are very scarce. I want to say the Japanese are not panicking. It's just they're going through this very systematically. They're always in danger of earthquakes there, so everybody keeps a supply of food. The entire country keeps a supply of food good for a couple of weeks. Well, now they've augmented it a little bit. And I can tell you it's in every single conversation, some of it gallows humor, but a lot of it's serious because they're hearing what's going on in South Korea where it's far worse. 28,500 U.S. troops there, all confined to base. And the peninsula is a hot potato with North Korea. So you can imagine the direction that the U.S. authorities must be getting from their medical people to lock down 28,500 young men on a base. Meanwhile, North Korea is saying it doesn't have a single case. 
<laughs> well, of course, uh, quite a few of these governments aren't known for exactly being uh, big with the truth. China suppressed news of this for about a month. That didn't help things. Iran, which has had an explosion of infections uh, for a long time, said there was nothing going on there. Apparently, there certainly is. Uh, one would hope and one would think that the Canadian health authorities are going to be a heck of a lot more honest than some of these authoritarian states are. Speaking with Matthew Fisher, who's an international affairs columnist and foreign correspondent, and I keep asking this question because <laughs> I think it indicates just where we are worldwide with coronavirus. Uh, every day I ask people, what do you think the odds are of me getting to go snowboarding in Switzerland in late March? You want to give me a percentage of what you, th- you think that's going to happen? I'd say about 50% today. I think you'll have a better idea in a week from now. Uh, Lufthansa has uh, got 23 wide-body aircraft that they're not flying right now because of decreased passenger demand. There are two things at play here. One is the danger of the virus canceling flights, but the other is nobody, no passengers willing to go. The cruise lines have taken a tremendous hit. Well, the airlines are taking a hit. Nobody's talked about it really in Canada, but Air Canada has at least six wide-body jets not going anywhere. They're parked, I believe, in Toronto and Vancouver, and that means pilots aren't flying, uh, the air crews, the rest of the air crews aren't flying either, and there's an ec- economic knock-on effect. We're seeing that with reduced store hours in Japan. We're seeing that with them having great trouble finding staff for their restaurants. They don't have as many clientele, but a lot of women work as waitresses in Japan, single mothers, if you like, and they have to take care of the daycare, so they're not showing up for work. These are the knock-on effects that could affect Canada. Britain uh, today uh, is estimating that 20% of the working population will get the infection in the next couple of months. And people say, oh, yeah, but the death rate is only 2% in a, in a country with good medicine, 4% in a country with bad. Well, you, you use those kind of figures on Canada if this thing gets loose, and we're talking many hundreds of thousands of deaths. Okay, well, that didn't make me feel a whole lot better. Thanks, Matthew. Matthew Fisher is an international affairs columnist and uh, some sobering statistics there. Thank you so much for being on the program. Well, thank you. Sorry to depress uh, <laughs> you, but that's the way of the a lot of the world. Canada is a bit of a sleepy hollow, and let's hope it remains thus. Yes, absolutely. All right, thanks, Matthew. I appreciate that. I, I, I hate to be so selfish, but 50% doesn't sound like a good number for me for going to Switzerland. I don't like that. This is not a time for fear. It's not a time for fear, but apparently it's a time to stock up on toilet paper. That is what's happening. People rushing into the Costco, getting baby wipes like that's going to help. Bottled water. Bottled water? Dude, COVID-19 is not in the water. Talk about rich. Talk about ironic. Everybody just calm down. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us this hour. How you feeling? You feel okay? You all right now? Everybody calm. Please remain calm.